This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Helena B. in Little Compton, Rhode Island. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 1st. This is episode 2172. This episode is brought to you by Horselovers.com. Good morning, horse world. Everybody up, rise and shine. It's a new day. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Here we can go again. Oh, and away we go. On today's show, in our Horse Health Report, we discuss EHM with Dr. Siemens of Cornerstone Equine. We give some love to a fallen friend and special co-host, Helena and Glenn, discuss the HRN origin story. Then we'll bring you another Equine Business 101 segment with Equine Virtual Assistant, April Hardeman, and guest, Laura Langsett. And speaking of business, Glenn brings us a brand new edition of Crappy List Wednesday on horsey career options, so you don't want to miss any of it. It's going to be a packed show as always today, guys. And speaking of today, today is <laughs> the Great American Grump Out, which has been observed since 2002. Now, what is the Great American Grump Out, you may be asking? Any guesses? Any guesses? Uh, uh, day to be grumpy? No. <laughs> no, it's no. the exact opposite. It's the day to focus on humor and positive behaviors in an effort to lighten up the mood and ward off grumpiness, crabbiness, and rudeness for 24 hours. We can do it, people, because allowing <laughs> negative attitudes to overwhelm oneself leads to stress, which leads to grumpiness. So, Glenn, try not to be so dang grumpy today. No yelling at anyone to get off your lawn. Okay, good, good. I'll try. We'll try. <laughs> well, at least for the next hour and a half. We'll, we'll uh, make an attempt at that. <laughs> well, Helena, yes, people, you're not hearing things. She's here. Hi, Helena. Hi. Hi, hi. Thank you. you know, the opening segment was interesting because you're like, I'm Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I was sitting there like waiting, <laughs> waiting for Jamie to come in or something because I listen to the shows now so much. I, I, my brain went on autopilot. I'm like, where is she? I was wondering is she why the hesitation. In? I was like, did she forget she's supposed to talk? <laughs> I did. I was like, well, you know, this is what I do. I listen to horses in the morning when I go muck my stalls. So that that's yep that's me nothing has changed people. <laughs> yeah, Helena is back and of course those that are long long time listeners will know that Helena was my first co-host on Staple Scoop and that is 11 years ago now we're in our we would be in our 12th. So, a long time ago. But before we get into all of that and talk about what you're up to now and what's going on in the world of Helena and health and all that, uh, we have to talk a little bit about a friend of ours who we've known since we started the network, at least. Mm -hmm. um, and that is Roy Burek 
trick of Charles Owen. And Roy was the guy who really, well, he was third generation, actually, at Charles Owen. But he was the guy that really made helmets into the safe things they are today and brought helmet technology further than almost anybody else. Roy was always there beating the bandwagon for making helmets safer. And with Charles Owen and, and, and also making them look stylish and like something you'd actually want to wear in your head uh, and not like the bowls that they were in the past. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we met him at Ada probably what, Helena, the first Ada we went to back in 2009. It would the have very been. first. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. came on our show many times. I mean, we've had Roy on the sh- on all the shows over the years talking about helmets and helmet safety. He was one of the first ones at the first meeting I remember for Riders for Helmets for that organization that Lindsay runs in, in Wellington. He was at that meeting um, and probably has sold, what, more helmets than anybody with Charles Owen. I mean, a ton of helmets around yep. the world. But he was also a nice guy. You know, some of our listeners, yeah. Yesterday, we're talking about some things that Roy did for them. And when I found out yesterday morning that he had passed away, I thought I saw him, and I'm pretty sure he was at Land Rover, but apparently he passed away of a heart attack in his sleep on Saturday night. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, if I'm going to go, though, give me a heart attack in my sleep. <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. Um, yeah. So, but Roy was 61 years old, which kind of hit a little close to home for me. Uh, having just turned 57, you know, and Roy was a driver, though. He did not stop. I mean, he, you know, you knew him. He was type A, go, go, go. He was, well, you know, he was an innovator and he was very passionate about not only Charles Owen products, but the brand. And he was constantly pushing, constantly thinking and working. And it it was because of that. It was like a double-edged sword. Because of that, he really pushed Charles Owen to the front of helmet technology in the equestrian industry, but also there's a price to pay for that. And, and a lot of times it affects our health. He was also one of the ones that was really integral in developing the standards, you know, ASTM, all those standards we see on helmets. He yep. was involved in all of that. And, uh, you know, so he's sorely going to be missed in our industry. Now, they did issue a statement yesterday over at Charles Owen that, oh, that Owen Burke, his son, uh, apparently has been more and more involved in the business and uh, will be taking over. So his sister, Cynthia, is a professor at the University of Chester and apparently will be looking into establishing a trust fund to research head injuries. So there'll be a trust fund in his name to research head head injuries. And, uh, you know, the mission of Charles Owen is is building for a safer world. And I'm sure that they'll continue doing that through the trust fund as well. But our thoughts and prayers are out to everybody at the Charles Owen family, his immediate family, and everybody that worked there. They have 100, I think I read it was 120 employees there. So yeah. it's a fairly large <laughs> company, and, and uh, they're, they're going to need them. Yeah. We need the, the Charles Owen company and the family and the brand. They are such an anchor in our industry, um, and so and a beacon, you know. And so well, I just wish the family some some peace as they get through this. And then just to know that we're all going to be out here supporting you and, and hoping that you can, you can bring things back together the same way your dad would want, want it to be done. So as you're putting on any kind of helmet today, whether it's a Charles Owen or not, think of Roy. So, all right, Daily Winnies, let's switch gears here a little bit. (laughs) 
Well, I have my first a daily winnie is a congratulations to Leslie and Tommy. They had Leslie Wiley Bateman, of course, who's on our show every Monday for the last eight years from Horse Nation and the Venting Nation. She had her baby. And Yay. it was absolutely appropriate that she had her baby on cross country day <laughs> Saturday for Land Rover. Of course, Leslie's a fixture at Land, uh, Land Rover every year. And she normally does the tailgate party that we all go to at Land Rover. Well, she wasn't there this year because she was having her baby. Now that didn't stop her. There were pictures of her in the hospital in labor with the video feed from cross country on her computer <laughs> right beside the desk. So apparently having a baby was not going to stop her from watching cross country at Land Rover. His name is Thomas Wiley Bateman and he's cute as a Dickens and apparently everybody's happy and they were watching soccer the next day all together in the hospital and she should be home by now. So congratulations to Leslie and Tommy they're, uh, I'm sure they're going to be having their hands full and very little sleep for the next, what, you guys are mothers, 10 years, 20 years? Oh, yeah, 16. Yeah. <laughs> 16. Or, or 60, because, I mean, yeah. you know, once they're out the door, I imagine you're just always worried about them. <laughs> Parenting never ends. It so, never ends. They say that your child is your heart outside of your body, so it's mm-hmm. like it just never ends. <laughs> and yours mm-hmm. is now driving, right, Helena? Or. She is. She has her permit. She doesn't have her full license yet. That should come in August, but oh, she's she's Poor driving. Thing. How terrifying is that, by the way? She's pretty good, although I made Buck, you know, for her forays onto the highway, I said, Buck, you can be in the car when you do that. <laughs> Merging onto the highways was a little bit difficult. <laughs> that is difficult at times, you know? It really is, especially where you live. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, one other thing for my daily winnie, and then we'll get to yours. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday to you. <laughs> well, happy birthday to our auditors. Uh, mini person, Kendra Gale. She's not mini, she has minis. Uh, Kendra, happy birthday to you. And Kayla Haynes, happy birthday to you as well. Okay, it's your turn. <laughs> My Daily Winnie goes out to the one and only Buck Harris. Why? Because Your husband. My, my husband, my husband came home the other day with the answer to all of my poop problems. <laughs> he came Waxing rattling it, down the Imodium. <laughs> what? He came Not what I was the... expecting. <laughs> He came rattling down the driveway with a beautiful dump trailer towing behind our pickup truck. Yep. He went out and bought a dump trailer for our manure. So where do you dump it? We're bringing it to our transfer station, to the dump. Oh. They take or- they take organic oh, matter. We have a huge, a heart. Right? <laughs> right? The dump is right around the corner. We don't have any trash pickup. And Little Compton is very rural, so we all bring our trash to what they call the transfer station. It's not a dump anymore. I didn't know but they we took have a, poop. We have one here in Ocala that we bring our trash to, but it doesn't take poop. It, well, we're 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 ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure they take the poop. I had <laughs> I asked the fellow at the transfer station, 
do you guys, you know, do you take the poop? And he was like, I don't see why not. So there's this huge pile of leaves and yard debris and, you know, you, you know, those paper bags that you put leaves in at oh, the end yeah, of the like season. Oh, yeah, like when you live in a city. Yes, yes. Yeah. So there's even those in there. And I was like, oh, God, they can take some pine shavings and horse manure. So the guy was like, yeah, yeah, I don't see why not. So Buck comes home with his dump trailer with the little electric button that lifts it up. It's got a cover. I was... <laughs> I was literally drooling with excitement. First woman's dream. Yeah. What have you been doing with it in the meantime here? uh, Piling it up. Oh, okay. You know, we have, we're, everything is still in transition. We're still setting up our our barn. Our pasture's not even ready yet. So it's just been accumulating since January. Two horses create a lot of poop. So uh, now it's funny that that's the first thing we think about when we're looking at buying a farm is what happens to the poop? Where do we go with the poop? (laughs) Dude, you got to, it's, you know, uh, what are they going to eat and where are you going to put what they eat? You know, when it's gone to, it's, it is a, you know, you really have to to say if there are any nine-year-old boys listening, this is their favorite episode ever. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) They're loving this conversation. Potty humor. (laughs) We're always good for it. Poop disposal is important. So that's my my daily Winnie that my husband can appreciate just how much poop management means to me. And this segment is sponsored by Flex and Fork and Shake and Fork. <laughs> <laughs> yep, which I could not live without. You got a new one, I think. Didn't you I got recently? a brand new one. Yeah. I had one of the first flex and forks and the tines were a little bit shorter than the average pitchfork. And I was like, I don't care. I no, a little bit shorter. So you much. had worn them down to nubs. They were, <laughs> you sent me a picture. They were half the length. They were nor- they when you started 10 years ago. I know. I know. <laughs> but they didn't break. So, nope. Nope. And they should have man. Oh man. They should have, but they didn't. Well, for those of you that are wondering if we're going to be covering the Kentucky Derby. Yes, that happens this weekend. And the Kentucky Oaks, we will be doing that Friday. We have no guest scheduled. It's just, it's just racing talk on Friday. Jamie will be back. She's traveling back from Monty Roberts' place today. They had a the the, the I forget what they called it, uh, but over the last couple of days, they've been there in seminars and training and things. So she'll be flying back from there today. She'll be back on Friday with that. Also, one other thing, if you remember in the past, for long-time listeners... The American Horse Publications, which is the Association of Journalists in the Horse World, yes, there is one, and it actually has like four or 500 members, um, has an awards every year. And when we first joined the AHP, they didn't know what a podcast was, and there was no awards for us. We couldn't even, we couldn't even enter. But they created a category for podcasts, and we were the only one that entered the first year because we were the only horsey podcast. And now there are many horsey podcasts, and Actually, we're going to hear about one here shortly, but uh, we entered again this year, and I'm happy to say that we're a finalist. Horses in the Morning is a finalist. We've won it once before, and it was you have to enter a specific episode. So we asked the listeners, the auditors, which episode they wanted, and they picked the one where Mary Kitzmiller went on a road trip and told the story of finding the home of her Mustang Remington and finding where he came from and and finding the actual herd and actually ended up seeing some of his relatives. So it was a really cool episode, and she had some funny stories, and that's the one they picked. So congratulations to Mary for that, and we'll let you know. We'll know June 1st whether Horses in the Morning will win again. But that's uh, we're very excited to at least be nominated. And now there's lots of horse podcasts out there. So we're not the only ones. We It's like going to a horse show and you're the only one in the class, but you don't tell anybody and you say you got a blue ribbon. You know, <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know nothing about that. I've never done that. 
Um, so what have you been up to since uh, since Stable Scoop days? Oh, my gosh. What haven't I been up to? Getting divorced, getting married, moving houses, changing everything about my life, getting a corporate job, quitting the corporate job, and getting back into podcasting. A little bit of everything, but at the end of the day, it really all comes down to being a much, much happier person. That whole corporate job thing isn't what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> We're not well, cut out for that, you and I. Oh or Jemmy. Jemmy's especially not cut out for that. It's really, it oh, was really God, hard no. for me. <laughs> it's, well, Jemmy, how long? That have, over and over and over again. <laughs> how long have you been working for yourself, Jemmy? Uh, well, Flintstone Media has actually been around for eight years now, I think, but I've been completely independent probably about three or four years now. I just, I can't even imagine going back into, I've had so many horrible things happen to me <laughs> in corporate America. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine putting myself back in that situation ever, 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 ever. <laughs> well, you know, the corporate America has evolved, you know, so there's, there are a lot more freedoms and there are a lot more there are a lot cooler things That's that are true. happening these days however not every company has caught up so you know i went to go work in an it was an open office environment and i had my back oh, to the God. entire office and it was a creative job it was graphic design and it's all their creative stuff so i basically lived with headphones on trying to you know, create this little, and, and I want to like put those up, open concepts are great in a concept, but they just create a lot of noise. And if yeah. you, how do you work with that? You can't, you, you can't. And then you're stuck to a desk all day long. I was like, isn't there some poop I can shovel at lunchtime? <laughs> <laughs> all you're thinking about is all the poop you have waiting for you yeah, at home right. because you've been stuck in the <laughs> yeah. office all day. Yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't, I, you know what? The money is great, but it doesn't buy me. <laughs> The happiness of a pitchfork and a pile of manure. You know, Smart Pack was that Yeah, way. the flex and fork can only do so much on its own. That's right. <laughs> you have to be there. You need somebody to hold it. Um, you know, Smart Pack was that way. Only there were like 200 people in this room, including customer service. So customer service, they have to talk. That's yeah. their job. And it was loud. You're right. You're absolutely right. It was hard to focus. Yeah. Uh, and did they have totally. the small, the, the they didn't have the high partitions, did they? In between the desks, they had this. The low ones. They did. They did have the high partitions. Oh, they did have the high partitions, but they put me with. They put me next to a woman who had some serious issues. <laughs> she was like, "You think I'm OCD? Of what she, kind? Of what kind? <laughs> oh my god! Nobody asked this. My yeah. imagination is running. For okay, him. if she's more OCD than you, then then I can just picture her desk. <laughs> oh no, it wasn't so much her desk. She was responsible for the labels on paint cans. It was, it was the boating industry. So we made these products for boats and um, you, we had to make sure that the verbiage on the back of the labels was exact. Mm. And so, you know, me, this was perfect for me. I, I love words. I love lining things up. I love spacing things. She would be like, can you, can you space out the E from the P just a, a few more pixels? What? And I was like, I, what? <laughs> yeah, what? The font kind of does no that on its own. No one's staring at the back of the paint can enough to notice. <laughs> yeah. That was the kind. That was Nobody the Nobody reads of the back of the paint can. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know. I was like, when I started thinking about keeping a bottle of bourbon in my desk drawer, I knew I had to quit. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing now? You're full-time podcasting again, right? Yes. I went back into podcasting because who loves to talk more than me, except maybe Glenn. And um, so 
Buck and I have that Newport show, which is all about Newport, Rhode Island, one of the most amazing places in the world to visit or to live. So we have a geo-based podcast. We have one about discovering happiness. And of course, because I have to talk about horses or I'll die, I started Stall and Stable. So tell us about Stall and Stable, because a lot of listeners, I noticed even the auditors were like, wait a minute, Helena has a podcast? So uh, I do. that's one of the reasons I, I wanted do. to have you on was so we could hear a little bit about that. So Horse Radio Network is chock full of stuff. I, I don't need to add my stuff to that. So I consider me an alumni. I graduated Horse Radio Network. I'm out on my own. I hung my little shingle. And <laughs> because I Our have only been graduates. involved. Do I get to some, <laughs> we, some, someday graduate from this mess no, too, Helena? Please. You don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Oh, you, you can't Our graduate. Only, <laughs> only Helena is <laughs> our only graduate, period. I'm, I'm all about house, home, set. I'm like the kind of kid who spends more time setting up the barn and, and being in the barn. I do ride my horse. I love my horse, but I have, I get just as much enjoyment about keeping horses. So the podcast is about ideas for happy horse keeping, what we can do to make keeping our horses easy, affordable, while making sure that they stay happy and healthy. And, uh, so there's lots of different ideas, lots you of different tips. gave us a little clip to play, too. You want to tell us about the clip? Yeah. So um, one of the things that is a challenge for a lot of people is finding good quality hay. And many of us don't really know where our hay comes from or what the process is like to go from a field of grass to that beautiful green bale of hay that's in our barn. So I happen to speak with a, a, a woman who... Uh, she and her husband bred Grand Prix dressage horses for years and years and years, and they have a beautiful farm in upstate New York. So a lot of people on the East Coast get their hay from upstate New York. It's got a unique microclimate that's perfect for growing Timothy and mixed grasses. So Nikki Alvin Smith was my guest in this episode, and man, oh man, does she know a thing or two about hay. So that's what this clip is from. I know a lot of people want that, and a lot of horses prefer the second cut. It's soft, it's green, it smells really good. Tell us about the difference in nutrition, or or maybe there is no difference, between first cutting and second cutting. There is a difference. Uh, first cutting is generally going to be a little bit coarser. It's probably going to have a little bit higher herbal content. It's going to have more variety in it in terms of the grasses that are in it and the other plant life that's in it. So that hay is going to be, horses, generally speaking, the average horse will do very well on first cut. Um, second cut hay is definitely softer to eat, but it's also higher in nitrogen. So for an average horse that's not, you know, not an advanced horse, he doesn't really need all the extra nitrogen. He needs something that can he can fiddle with that will fill him up and still produce you know, good nutrition. So for customers, that those horses, I generally recommend they do first cut. If the, if the second cut is good for horses that um, need the extra nitrogen level, you have to be careful with the second cut. It is softer, but also, I mean, all horses prefer it because it's higher in nitrogen and it's greener. What but, does the nitrogen do for them? How does that? Uh, well, the nitrogen. Them? There's a lot of different components to it. You know, energy components to it. Nitrogen is the one that people focus on. Um, I focus on it particularly because older horses or horses that are debilitated in some way can't handle the digestion of the higher nitrogen. 
in, because they don't have the, the health in their hind gut. They don't have the microbes in their hind gut to break it down, so it can give them diarrhea and, and other problems. And also the second cut is generally speaking considered to be sweeter um, in high in sugar. So that's important for people that have horses um, that have any sort of issues with sugar, insulin resistance and those types of issues. So you have to be aware, you know, you can have hay tested and that's a very good idea if you've got a horse with a, with a problem of any sort, medical problem. But if you have the hay tested, you also have to be aware that the, each, each bale, each field is going to be slightly different. So if you don't know the provenance of your hay, I mean, even within our farm, if, if I'm on one field versus another, it's going to have a different test result because the soils are different, you know, even within a landscape. You know, it's funny that you, you sent that clip over because Jennifer right now is out getting hay. So that's what she's doing right now. <laughs> and down here, you know, we can't afford, because of the price of hay down here, you can't afford to buy 100 bales and have them tested. You know, right. I think that, you know, unless you're in a situation where you're buying a whole lot of hay at one time, and then have you can have it tested. But if you're buying... I. I wonder how many people are, are like us that are buying a pickup truck load at a time, you know, where testing is not an option because by the time you get the results back, you're done with that load. Right. You know. So what, that's what she's saying. You know, the, the provenance of your hay, where it originates from is important. And so consistency, you know, when you have a hay dealer that you work with, talk to that hay dealer. And this is one of the things we go on to talk about in the episode is talk to the hay dealer and find out how involved your hay dealer gets in the actual purchase. My hay dealer, he gets in there. Some people just back their tractor trailer up to uh, the hay provider and just say, load it up. They look at the first 10 bales and they say, that's good, load it up. Others actually get in there. They have a moisture wand that they can put into each bale and test the moisture, which can really change the quality of your hay. Yeah. Uh, so, so it depends too. Your dealers can get involved. But once you have a, a dealer and a provider that you trust, then you don't need to test it that often. You kind of know what you're working with. So where can people find the podcast? Stallandstable.com is our website. We have all our episodes there. But you can also find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And for the people who are looking for something that's not horsey right now, you have uh, two other shows, right? We have two other shows. We actually have three. We have, if you're into boats, sailing, cruising, whatever, we have Around the Buoy. I have a, a wee little network. So Around the Buoy um, is hosted by a professional boatwright. He builds the most beautiful boats. He's an ex-Navy officer and uh, a sailor. So that's Around the Buoy at aroundthebuoy.com. We have that Newport show, which if you if you love traveling and you like history and charm and the classic coastal lifestyle, you definitely need to listen to that Newport show and plan to visit. And if you do, let me know because we will show you around. We'll have a great time. It's one of my favorite places. Of course, Jennifer and I had our honeymoon in Newport. Fuck so. and I fell in love in Newport. It's the most romantic city in the world. It's, it is. Really well, well cool. maybe Paris, but. We went to the, they have a big Italian festival there. And I remember when we lived in Massachusetts, we used to go to the Italian festival. It was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and the good food, food was good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, horse. You know, I was watching one of those, like, oh, sorry, not to interrupt. Yeah. I was watching one of those horse, sorry, the horse, house hunting shows, and they featured Newport. And I thought about you the entire time I watched it, Helena. <laughs> yes. Thank you for thinking of me. We, we have. Um, really cool place. 
Newport is blossoming. We've got a couple of new celebrities. Jay Leno bought a house here. Oh, really? Judge Judy. Yep. Did he Judge buy one Judy of the big just, mansions? And he bought that? three of them. Oh, well, there you no, go. No, sorry. Sorry, no. <laughs> Larry Larry Ellison, who owns the tech company Oracle, he bought three of them. Uh, and he's he's trying to restore the, the original Astra estate. Jay oh, Leno really? has a... He's got one of the big mansions. Judge Judy has a smaller mansion. Um, and uh, we've got some... The Bachelorette was just filmed in Newport, so we're on everybody's radar now. Do you know Judge Judy is the highest paid TV personality every year? I do. She makes <laughs> like 90 ticket. or $100 million a year doing that show. She's a hot ticket. We're in the wrong okay, business. Okay, this is where, again, I, I throw in a plug for the United Negro Podcasting Fund. <laughs> again, if anybody likes Judge Which is Judy one member. There's, there's a single benefactor, it's me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm not too sure she doesn't have that, Helena. So um, you think she's joking. Uh, Horselovers.com is our sponsor for today. And I was just on there this morning. And guess what they have at up to 85% off Ariat products. That's right. You hardly ever see Ariat on sale. Well, they have boots and rubber boots. And they have shirts. They have gloves. They have jeans. Uh, There are eight pages of Ariat products on sale at up to 80% off. I'm looking at uh, some of the Western boots. They have marked down 50% off. They have shorts, uh, just everything that you can imagine. And I didn't even know Ariat made like loafers. I didn't know they made loafers. But they make every kind of boot and shoe, apparently. And you'll find them all on there from kid sizes all the way up to plus sizes. Uh, They also have their fat baby belts, which are really, really popular, marked down 37%. Uh, When we go to WISA, when we were out at the Western uh, Sales Association show, Ariat has a booth where they sell to retailers that's like the size of most basketball courts. It is huge. And they have a bazillion products, and you're going to find a lot of them on sale right now at horselovers.com. But these sales only last usually 24 to 48 hours, so you have to head over every day and check them out. Right now, it's Ariat at up to 85% off at horselovers.com. All right, it is time for this. It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report. When our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. We have Dr. Siemens coming up next of Cornerstone Equine Medical Service. And Dr. Siemens, he's new to me, but I've listened to him as a fan of Horses in the Morning, so I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to him today. And we're going to talk about something that's, it's abbreviated EHM, which is, I'm not even going to go there, but uh, I think most of us are familiar with equine herpes virus, EHV. So this is sort of related to that. And um, I'm really eager to find out what Dr. Siemens has to say about this and how we can keep an eye out for it. So let's welcome Dr. Siemens to the show. Well, good morning. Is that my cue? That's your cue. Hey, Dr. Siemens, <laughs> when we were doing our pre-show meeting, I tried to tell her you were mean and awful. And I, she said, I've heard him before. He's so nice. So I couldn't even get that over on her. I I'm tried. a little starstruck. Hey, listen, come, come. <laughs> Coming from you, Glenn, I consider that a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't understand. 
I don't understand why you keep calling me back. And here, I bet you in about another five minutes, Alina is going to be wondering the same dang thing. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, I am. I'm an instant fan. I listened to your conversation with Jamie not too long ago about deworming and uh, the the more natural approach and how uh, our horses' guts are really used to having worms in there, how their bodies have, have adapted yeah. and adjusted. And I was, it was such a breath of fresh air. So I'm really interested to hear your take on this other pathogen that affects our horses. We're talking about equine herpes virus, myeloencephalopathy. Did I say that right? Yeah. Say that three times fast, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Nope. <laughs> Once in a lifetime. So EHV is, is an issue. Um, tell us about EHM and how it's related to equine herpes virus. Well, it's complicated. And and we, we don't know a whole lot about viruses. It's, they're a very interesting parasite. So Let's just let me just give you the, the cliff notes about parasite about parasites in general and viruses in particular. Uh, uh, we understand that uh, bacterial infections and other parasitic infections are things that we think about, you know, worms and all that kind of stuff. It's a the reason it's parasitic infection is because the host doesn't benefit, so only the parasite benefits. But but most parasites have the ability to to replicate the process energy to assimilate nutrition on their own because they have all of the things that they need, even the single cell organisms, bacteria. The viruses are the perfect parasite because they have none of that baggage. All they are is a genetic template. It's RNA or DNA. So they invade, invade the host cell. They get inside the cell and they, they turn that around and just commandeer all of the processes that the cell normally does for their own purposes, their own replication, their own function. So our understanding of, of, of this types of these types of infections and their prevention, uh, we're just so far behind the curve. It's not even funny. Wow. So there's, 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 there's things to worry about and things to not worry about. So let's put this in perspective. Okay. You got to understand the equine herpes viruses. There's at least nine of them now. Uh, and there's, they're going to be discovering more all the time. But equine herpes viruses are ubiquitous in the environment. They're not related to horses. They've been isolated in polar bears. <laughs> Somebody had a lot of time on their hands. I mean, yeah, herpes, yeah. people can't find herpes viruses. Hey, hold polar still. Bears. I got to uh, take some blood. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Or bend you, you over one or the other. <laughs> yeah, <Bend> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and this is one of those diseases that, that makes people, you know, it causes lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth. So let's put this in perspective a little bit. Yes, it is potentially a dangerous disease, but it's not even a reportable disease as far as the USDA and FDA is concerned. And so like rabies, brucellosis, those are diseases that people get really worried about, and that's why they're reportable to the federal agencies. But equine herpes virus is not. So it'll cause basically four different syndromes in horses that we know of. It can cause a respiratory disease. It can cause uh, skin lesions. It can cause abortions, it can cause uh, neonatal death in foals, and it can cause a neurologic syndrome, okay? Now, like a lot of herpes, or unlike a lot of herpes, there's no social stigma here. It should not affect a horse's dating profile, okay? Right. But there's, there's a lot... You don't have to disclose on match. Going, you don't have to yeah, put it on there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's there's not, no not shame. No shame in EHV. <laughs> but, 
but let's put this in perspective, okay? In 2018, there was 154 reported cases of equine herpes virus infections in horses in the United States. 151 or two or three. 28 of them died or were euthanized. In 2018, 48 horses were killed by lightning strikes, and another 100 horses burnt up in barns that were struck by lightning. So you're more than five times likely to have your horse die of lightning than you are to have him die of a herpes infection. Hmm. Okay. But there's there's been a recent outbreak. So I think that's that's what gets us scared. So while the likelihood may be low, when we are exposed to it, when it does happen to us, it, it can be devastating. So how do well, we uh, is there is there a vaccine for EHV? Oh yeah. There's okay. lots of vaccines. <laughs> the question is, does it help? Okay, let's, let's just back up another notch or two. Okay, 30 years ago, I worked in a really large referral hospital. And we would see an occasional case of the herpes myelitis in horses. And we put them right there in the, in the rest of the hospital barn with the rest of the horses. We never saw it spread, ever, not once. And so now we know that it's probably more contagious than it used to be. The viruses change, okay? Flu viruses changes every year. That's why it's so hard to vaccinate against the flu. So our understanding about this is uh, is limited at best. The best best research was done out of, the, out of one of the labs at, uh, at UC Davis, but some of that information is 10 years old. So our, 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 our thought here is that is that 80% of horses in the United States carry the herpes virus 80 percent are infected and this this happens either while they're still inside the mare or or during their first early few days of life so it is ubiquitous in our horse population so the the challenge here is okay when is it going to start causing diseases well the challenge with the herpes virus is is something called latency and so it gets you get infected early in life and it stays in your spinal cord and then different stressors will actually cause that to be brought out and, and replicate and multiply and then cause disease. So it makes it a real challenge to try to just look at a horse and say, yeah, this horse, got, this horse has it, this horse doesn't. And what the stressors are and what actually stimulates this thing, that thing to start becoming diseases, it's just, it's just not well understood. Mm. So, you know, if, you, if you've got, a, if you've got a, an active case, okay, it gets spread by either direct contact Fomites, that's tack, you know, brushes, people, veterinarians, clothes. Uh, it can be aerosolized, okay? you got to be probably within about 50 feet of an active case for your horse to be truly exposed. So in a, in a large public boarding facility, horses within three or four stalls of an active case are potentially at risk. But again, this is something that they were probably infected early in life, and so having more virus thrown at you at any given time, it's hard to say if this is going to cause a problem or not. So once so, we... The, 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 latency, the, the latency is the real challenge here because it, it, it's in their body. But what, what brings it out? You know, who knows? So once it's brought out and our, our horse is showing symptoms of it, what can we do at that point to help them or support them? Well, we just don't have a whole lot of treatment against viruses, unfortunately. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of the acyclovir type compounds that have been used. Uh, the challenge is that by the time the horse is, is showing the neurologic symptoms, uh, some of these things, this, this is just after the fact. 
And one of the newer acyclovir compounds is just cost prohibitive for most people. I mean, it would cost you thousands of dollars to treat these horses. Wow. Okay, so... You're the bearer of good news today there, Dr. Siemens. Jeez. Yeah, well... No, it's 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 one of these things that people worry about, but they probably shouldn't. And so the 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 big one that we had it out of Ogden, Utah, back in 2011, it was one of the biggest ones we've had, and we lost a few horses from that. And I'm not trying to downplay the 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 scary nature of this particular problem, but uh, if we knew how many diseases we're actually exposed to when we take our horses to a show or a trail ride or you know to, to the vet clinic. I mean, how would make us want to just stay home and and uh, and try to find some of that bubble wrap bubble wrap Kevlar that you're so fond of advertising? <laughs> man. I'm still developing that. It, it'll be out soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, it it get it gets it even gets more confusing because there are many vaccines available. Uh, we understand that that, however, that vaccines will not prevent the infection again because of this latency thing. So the best the best information that we have now suggest that using a modified live vaccine, and there's several out there, uh, up to twice a year for horses at risk, the best we can expect is that once they get infected, it will decrease the amounts of virus that they shed. So it won't prevent the disease, but we may have some, some herd population types of effects that may prevent others from getting the disease. So bottom line is don't 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 vaccinate your horse feeling that you're going to prevent this. Vaccinate your horse maybe when he gets or if he gets infected he won't spread it to other horses. Ah, so, so that that ma- that makes it just terribly confusing. And and you know the bottom line is don't worry about it. Don't. I like that. I'm, when someone tells, when a veterinarian tells me, don't worry about it, I take that yeah, to heart. Yeah, because we very I, seldom I get that. There's so many things that we worry about. As soon as our, our horse shows any kind of neurological symptom or any kind of weird behavior, we immediately go to what pathogen is causing this. And he's going to die tomorrow. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But so, you know, and you're like, well, my horse is vaccinated against EHV. Um, and like you're saying, that, that may or may not make a difference in whether or not they actually have the virus in their body. What, how can we test for it? So let's say, you know, our horse gets a runny nose, big deal. We, we get through that. At one point do we say this is an, uh, these neurological symptoms may be EHM or they may be related to EHV. Can we do a swab or something? Oh, absolutely. I could spend tons of your money trying to vaccinate this horse and I'm more than happy to do that. I count on people like you to make truck payments for me. So thank you so much for that. Okay. <laughs> Did I say that with my outside he's voice? Buy, he's I'm buying so a boat sorry. next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, my wife has barrel horses, and that costs a lot more than a boat. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, here's here, the, the, there's more challenges here. And so, yes, there are tests, okay? And there's two types of tests. There's a, there's a nasal swab that actually tests test for viral particles, and then there's an antibody test from the blood, okay, antibody, not antibiotics. But again, the antibody test tells us that we have been exposed. It doesn't tell us that we have active disease. And so, for example, if a horse has received a vaccine in the recent six months, they will probably test positive for those antibodies. But whether or not that tells us that we have an active disease is, it remains to be seen. So, 
for example, we can pull blood on me today and test it for, for uh, human influenza. And I will probably test positive because I have had the disease in the last six or eight months. It doesn't tell us that I have active disease. So historically, what we've done when we're looking at antibody titers is acute and convalescent titers. Basically, we pull blood today, and then we pull blood two weeks from today, and then we test it for the antibody titers. And if we see a fourfold increase, a rise in the titer over that two-week period, then voila, that's the diagnosis. Now, the downside of that is that's sometimes either dead or better in two weeks, and so do we really care? Mm. Okay. It's, 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 it's an academic exercise, and it drives me nuts. Now, the PCR, okay, the, that that we do in the nasal swab, okay, if you test it in time, a lot of times you will find presence of, of that virus in the nasal swab. But if you, wait, if you wait too late, then that virus is gone from the nasal cavity, okay? So if you test for antibodies too early, you may not be getting a reaction to the, to the presence of the virus that will cause that, that elevation in the, in the antibody. If you test too late, you may miss it in the nasal swab. So it's, it's, it's not a slam dunk. It's not like those TV crime shows. You know, we're going to run some lab work and we're going to get the answer back before the next commercial. It's, it's very complicated. <laughs> and our, idea, our ideas about, about prevention have changed dramatically. In public boarding facilities and training facilities in the 1980s and 90s, the standard of practice was flu and rhino vaccine. Well, that's, that's the, the code name for equine herpes is rhino. So when they say rhino pneumonitis, okay, they're talking about one of the equine herpes viruses. So back in the 80s and 90s, the standard of practice in many public boarding facilities and training facilities was, uh, was a flu rhino vaccine every eight weeks and a face warmer. That was the standard of practice. And so now we know, at least in some, in some cases, in a, in a paper published by uh, Clara Fenger uh, last year showed that uh, if we vaccinate against the herpes virus too often, we will actually cause that disease in some horses. And so we're using the, the modified live vaccine in some populations to try to affect some, some herd population management, not individual cases. So, and, you know, stay tuned. I mean, our, our whole vaccine protocol changes on a fairly regular basis. We've gone from, you know, vaccinating every eight weeks and not vaccinating at all to now they're saying using one of the modified live products may help reduce the amount of shedding. Yeah, you, you a lot of trial and error. Here. Hey, we're back to the and, whole Werber well, discussion, and, right? I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah, kind of, kind of where we're at, and then, yeah. and then the the I, I hate it when we have one case and they call it an outbreak. So we we had a case here in Idaho about a month ago, and it caused much wailing and gnashing of teeth. It was awful. We have one case because we have I, we probably have five hundred thousand horses in Idaho. We had one case. That's an outbreak. I mean, that doesn't sound like an outbreak to me. No, it sounds like and an so, isolated you know, incident. The, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's truly, yeah. it was, yeah. you know, it was in a pub, it was in a public boarding facility. There were no other cases. I mean, it just, it sounds, it sounds like, uh, you know, just a little bit, a little bit overkill. But they, so they got the state vets involved. They did a bunch of testing. They did their due diligence. They did everything right. It was, it was a beautiful way to manage these things. And so they did the PCR and it did come back equine herpes virus, but there's, there's, two different strains of the EHV1, and one of them, call, they call that EHM, that herpes myeloencephalopathy, and then there's another one that's just EHV, the non-neurogenic strain. Okay. This is where it gets confusing. 
This was the non-neurogenic strain, but it was causing neurologic symptoms. Huh. If oh, anybody geez. can explain that to me, yeah, if anybody <laughs> can explain that to me, I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> so these these viruses come in, they they take over the the cellular DNA. It's it's basically like they're yep. they're kicking the bus driver out and they're driving the bus, but but they're different exactly. kinds of bus drivers. That's the, that's the best that's the best analogy I've heard. Good job. Okay. Good. I got it. And, and then some some of them are, are licensed to drive a, a tractor trailer, and some of them can only drive the short bus. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Exactly. Well, exactly. on but short they, bus, but, but we're going to call it a day it, here. Um, <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> Dr. Siemens, thank you so much. Listen, yeah, go sell, ahead. My, sell my book, Glenn. Sell my book. Yeah, what is the book? Give it, give it the details. The book, the book is Never Trust a Sneaky Pony and Other Things They Did Not Teach Me in Vet School. And uh, it's available through my website, cornerstoneequine.com. And there's only one E between Cornerstone and Equine. And uh, we're in our third printing now. So it's uh, if you like the way that I talk uh, about these things today, then you'll probably like the book. And uh, if not, well, then I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll go to Cornerstone Equine, <laughs> and you can find the book there. Thank you, Dr. Siemens. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Call me again. All right. Take care. Take care. <laughs> All right, bye. You know what I like about him is he just tells it the way it is about everything. There's no yeah. sugarcoating anything, Doctor Siemens. It's like because well, some has of the time vets sugarcoat. Well, some of the vets come on and they try and make it sound like the veterinary community has a cure for everything. You know that it's we we've got this covered. We got you covered. Where Doctor Siemens comes on and says, "Hey, we don't know what the hell we you know <laughs> um, we have." There is no a idea. lot of trial and error involved in these kinds of things, especially with viruses, because like he said, they change so much. They do. They change all the time. Well, speaking of changing, we're going to change gears right now. We're going to hear from Ovation and a little bit about the cruise coming up. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk. We're going to do a quick list. I want to see if this list has any merit at all, because it's by a company that doesn't know a thing about horses. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Horse people know that they can count on Ovation's value, quality, and style when it comes to hard-wearing schooling attire affordable show gear for horse and rider, or top-of-the-line equipment for riders at every level. From breeches to bridle work, saddles to stock ties, helmets to half chaps, Ovation is the premier brand of riding apparel and equipment for you and your horse in the United States, outfitting riders at every level from head to toe. Ask for Ovation brand riding helmets, breeches, and footwear at your local tax store, or go online to OvationRiding.com and see the fantastic variety of quality, fashion-forward, affordable products from Ovation. OvationRiding.com The second Horse Lovers Cruise is set for February 3rd, 2020. Most of you are just thawing out from a miserable winter. Think about next year taking a break from all of that in February and joining us on a warm cruise with fellow horse lovers and listeners of the Horse Radio Network. All of the details can be found at horseloverscruise.com. We had a fantastic time on the first one. Listen to what some of your fellow Horse Radio Network fans and cruisers had to say. I really like parasailing because I wanted to go parasailing with Rich 
and I'm a para to go parasailing, so that was just amazing. Visit horseloverscruise.com to listen to a special show we did describing the whole cruise and all the details you will need with our travel agent, Michelle, from MEI Travel. Go to horseloverscruise.com. So, Jemmy, you were on the cruise last year. What was your favorite part? Oh, my gosh. What wasn't my favorite part? (laughs) You know what my favorite part was? Waking up every day someplace new, different, and exciting, and beautiful. I mean, my gosh, we started... Started off in Miami, which I'm I'm I kind of take Miami for granted. I realize. Yeah, you live, <laughs> I live near right there. Here. You've been in a lot, yeah. So. But everybody's eyes, Elsa's eyes, are wide open. As they were loving it, and then you know you get to go to places like Key West and the Bahamas, and then they have different excursions you can choose from. You can really make every day your own, whether on ship or off ship. I, and and the food, don't get me started on the food. <laughs> Glenn, what didn't I love? Yeah, <laughs> I we, love we taught the Jemmy the art of ordering two meals at dinner because you can <laughs> order as many as you want. And by the end, I think she had six meals around and her. And that's an art ever. class I'll gladly take anytime. <laughs> that was so much fun. Jemmy also I mean, figured out how to sneak booze into the dining room at night with her sippy shh, cup. Shh, so don't out me. I, don't out me. Oh, this is true. I actually, Helena, it's a true story. I have a, a sippy cup and it, yeah. I put I may have put a little wine in it every night. <laughs> to bring to dinner. Why do I feel a business building around that? <laughs> and, and tell everybody what your sippy cup is. So it literally is a sippy cup. It's yes. it's you find it in the toddler section yes. of Target. <laughs> oh my god. Green with trees on it and flowers. You that is shameless. a sippy cup. Hey man, you know what? Last thing you want to do is spill your wine. <laughs> or break a glass. Exactly. <laughs> or have the guy, the maitre d' at the front door tell you you're not allowed to bring it in or try to charge you. So if you bring it in an actual wine bottle, that's what will happen. So yes, work around is the sippy cup. <laughs> it's a step up from the paper bag, for sure. <laughs> if, if you want to go next year, take a look at horseloverscruise.com. You'll find all the details. Well, Crappy List Wednesday. We have a few minutes here to talk about this crappy list. This was on a website called thebalancecareers.com. And it's 15 career options for working with horses. Now, this is a non-horsey place putting up a horsey list, which we love to have fun with sometimes. So we're going to see... We're going to see if they're accurate here. And um, I'm going to start with number 15. We're going to go to the bottom of the list. Okay. Uh, so number 15 was horse breeder. <clears throat> now, I don't know if that means the horse themselves or the people who breed horses. I'm not sure. I'm assuming it means the people that breed horses. Uh, and they say, uh, this is, I love how they say this, horse breeders arrange matings that result in foals. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. It's not creating a dating website for horses. It's literally, <laughs> what, sticking your hand up, up their yeah, backside. Yeah, yeah. Like that. <laughs> well, it does, it does confess that while the salary of a horse breeder can vary widely based upon what breed they produce and the quality of their breeding stock, according to what they have found out, the median annual salary for horse breeders is $39,380. And that is because it takes you about 12 years to get into horse breeding and make any money at all. So there's that. <laughs> Uh, and, and it also depends on what your role is. Like, yes. you know, there's different functions, right? 
Uh, racehorse trainer is one. And, you know, we always think about the Bob Bafferts of the world because they're the ones we see on Kentucky Derby Day. But what you don't see is all the racehorse trainers at tracks like Penn National who have two horses and are not doing too well. Uh, so it does confess here that racehorse trainers condition their equine charges, I love this talk, to compete in racing events. They must be well-versed in all aspects of horsemanship and pass a licensing exam in each state. Um, it doesn't make them any good, by the way. Trainers earn a day rate for the horses under their care, plus a percentage of the winnings. Most trainers, if you were going to have guessed what they were going to say, what would you say most trainers earn in the racing world? Gosh, if it's $28,000 a year, it's You're a close. lot. You're actually close. It's between twenty dollars and $60,000 annually. So That's a big spread. <laughs> I think they were pretty accurate on that, though, and it's probably hard to tell. But, uh, yeah, we always think of the Bob Bafferts making millions and millions and millions of dollars. But for every Bob Baffert, there's 100 making 20000 right. Um Yeah, and there's a lot more tracks like Penn National, the, what we used to call third world tracks, than, than, than the other tracks. So yeah. Equine Dental Technician. And what, what it says about them is they remove sharp points from horses' teeth in a procedure known as floating. So they got that right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Dental care ensures the horse can eat and perform properly. Equine dental techs usually earn a set fee per horse treated with earnings topping $69,000. Okay. Well, and it's probably more than that. I think Dr. Tucker makes more than that. I know it also depends on where you are, yes. you know, if you're closer to a city or a hub that's got high salaries. That So that, basically you can make more being a dental technician than you can a racehorse trainer is what they're saying. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> barn manager, supervise the care of horses in the stable. They may be involved with hands-on horse care, managing employees, and scheduling deliveries of feed and bedding. Barn managers earn an average of, any guess? I'm looking at the number, so it's not a guess. Oh, okay. You're, you're on the page. $32,000 a year, which I think is a little high. When we were barn managers, I don't think we made anything, to be honest. It's just... uh, I think that's about If you're getting right. paid, if it's your own barn, you make nothing. But if you're paying somebody to do it, then you probably can make that. I, I, I think that's about... I think that's about right for a good barn. Yeah. And it, it all again, it, see, these are so dependent, you know, for a 10 stall barn, I don't think you're going to hit the $32,000 a year mark, maybe for, you know, an eventing barn or a hunter jumper type performance horse barn, you could hit the 40,000, yes. 32 to 40,000 mark. Yeah. yeah. If you, um, the number 10 on the list was exercise rider and Jamie did that actually for a while. Exercise riders are the ones that go out in the morning and take the racehorses around and usually break parts on a regular basis. And it says here, their annual salary, they can earn 27,000. There's no way in hell I would do that job for 27,000 a year. That doesn't even cover the cost of their health insurance. I know. I know. And the broken bones that they get inevitably because they're working with baby racehorses. Uh, groom was another option, uh, and they provide daily care for horses under their supervision. Uh, so yes, there are, and there's a wide range of grooms and, you know, some of the professional grooms you saw there at, at, at Kentucky over the weekend were, you know, they're probably making in the $60,000 range. They say the average is, is 20,000. I think that's probably about right, actually, for average. Uh, you're not going to make a fortune unless you get to the higher ranks in grooming and you're going to have put in a lot of years. You know what? I think a lot of grooms are under 18. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. Those numbers could be skewed. That's a true. lot of them work for, for, for rides. Except yeah, a place for to nothing. live and a place for their horse and free lessons. Yeah. 
But, you know, you know, with with folks like Max Corcoran um, leading the way, I would love to see equine grooms go the way of chefs where the position and the career is elevated to the art form that it really is. That is true. I agree. And I think it's got it's it's people like Max that are going to do that. Yeah. Um, and then it went on jockey, stallion manager, uh, broodmare manager, back to the breeding shed again. I like number five, mounted police officer. Now, I'd, I'd like to say there's a little more involved in getting into being a mounted police officer than just saying, I want to join and be a mounted police officer, because usually <laughs> they're picked for after you've been in, in a police department for about 10 years. you got to put in yeah. your time before you become a mounted police officer. They have the average salary at about 70000 for a mounted police officer. So you start out as a police officer, and then you move into the yes. mounted patrol. You can't just be like a horseback rider. No, they in want you to do your dues before. <laughs> That's kind of a cushy job in the police world. So, yeah, you, you can't just walk right into that one. Mm, I, would, uh, I would like to do that. I'd be a badass mounted police officer. <laughs> <laughs> you would. That would be so much fun. <laughs> you would. Move over. Farrier. You know, Farrier obviously is a good job, although you probably have, what, about 20 years in your bag. You're not going to be able to stand up again. Um, but, you know, they, they're saying, you know, and I know some Farriers that did very, very well. Matter of fact, Farriers are probably one of the highest paid people. If they're, if they're doing their job and they're out there all the time and they're in show barns, they can make $100,000, $200,000 a year. Uh, and barriers. We need them. But need but them. you're going to pay for it with your health. I mean, yeah. I, you know, there aren't too many that are over 20 years in that profession. It just is hard work. And I don't know. I don't know if I could ever, if I even had the the willpower to learn, I don't know if I could have been a barrier. Mm. By the time you're bent over, you're permanently bent over, that's a good time to start thinking about shifting into teaching. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. When exactly. your body starts to give out, then that's when you use your brain. Riding instructor was number three. Um, of course, I would have predicted that to be about number three on the list. And they're saying that typically earn between about uh, hourly rate of about $35. And then they're saying an average of about 40000 a year. And actually, if you take an average of every riding instructor out there, some doing, you know, five lessons a week and some doing 100, I think 40000 is probably about right because you got a lot of people on the hot George Morris end, and then you have a lot of people on the doing five lessons a week end. And that's only a part of what they offer for their, their business services, right? right? You can't, it's really hard to make a living just being a riding instructor. You got to do training and you got to do boarding. It's a, a multifaceted career. Then, then the top two equine vet tech and equine veterinarian are the top two. Now, um, it says here that an equine veterinarian has an average salary of 85000 That's after you've been out a while. We all know people that have come out of vet school that are starting at like forty to 50000 or even that, if it's even that high. And, it, you know, and they have all this debt. And it's, it's tough being a veterinarian the first couple of years. The debt is the killer yeah. these days. The debt, you know, they may get an average salary of 85000 but they're paying one hundred and ten in student loans a year. So it's, yeah, they're getting... I, I feel for them, but I have to say to all the equine veterinarians out there, people like me love you. That's right. We're so happy. <laughs> I, you know, you have to, you have to, um, reconcile the fact that you're going to be writing checks out to your service providers. And I've a, a long time ago, I decided that I'm going to be happy and in honor of national grump out day, I'm not going to be grumpy about writing a check to my veterinarian. That that's the one, <laughs> one person positive today. <laughs> I pay my farrier in cash. I pay my veterinarian by check. And I try to make sure that I'm 
always in a good mood when I sign the bottom of it. <laughs> unless it's, of course, uh, unless it's, of course, over a thousand dollars, and then even then, I I work real hard. <laughs> Be happy about it. <laughs> All right, you know this list actually was pretty good. I have to give it for a non-horsey website. This list did pretty well, and I think it was pretty accurate. Yeah, I think they actually think? got some professional uh, help on this list. So, I want Mary Hope Kramer was the author. I wonder if she. Uh, oh yeah, okay. She spent several years working with thoroughbred. Thoroughbred. So, uh, okay, good. gotcha. Okay, well, good job, good job. The, the balancecareers dot com. I'd never heard of that website, but Me anyway, either. that's uh, a pretty. Good, it's not so crappy a list for Crappy List Wednesday. Well, now it is time for our Equine Business One Hundred and One segment. This is the time where we go to Germany. And we get April on the line here. April is a virtual assistant and uh, has a business helping horse businesses out there uh, and helping them succeed in the horse world. And I'm going to try and get April on here now. Uh, There she is. Hi, April. Good morning. Hey, Glenn. Sorry, I had to turn off the show before I answered. (laughs) That's good. Look, you're learning. You're learning. Well, we got Helena on here today. Hi, April. Hey. So, April, are you you just got back from a trip, and we'll get your guest on here in a second, but I have to ask you real quick. Tell everybody where you were. I went to Iceland and rode the Icelandic horses. <laughs> How cool is that? Was it fun? It was amazing. Like, definitely checking off the bucket list. We rode um, the horses on the Black Sand Beach on Saturday, and she took us down a different trail than she normally does because she knew we were experienced riders, so we went down this trail to see the waterfall and then we galloped down the beach and it was just a blast and we rode for six hours on sunday (laughs) (laughs) what are they like what are the ponies like oh they were they had such a great attitude and it seemed like they just loved tolting that gate that the icelandic Mm -hmm. horses do like as soon as you ask them to toll and you had to sit like you were almost sitting in a couch which was so funny and one of the gals was like sit like a proud viking and (laughs) So, and then, um, but yeah, as soon as they started tolting, like it felt even faster than going cantering or anything, but we did gallop, gallop up some of the, um, mountain hills and everything. And my stirrup broke, but we knotted it up and kept going. (laughs) (laughs) True Icelandic fashion. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, um, did you do anything else? Were you there? Did you go to the uh, hot springs and all that stuff? And we didn't do the hot springs, but we did do, um, we went to two of the waterfalls. I cannot remember their names, but um, it was so perfect because the sun decided to come out right as we went to see the waterfalls and a huge rainbow came out. And we went, my friend was like, we're going to go see this lighthouse and go try to see some puffins. And it was like this scary, steep, crazy hill to go up and, I pretty much just looked down the whole time while she was driving. <laughs> and as soon as we got we got up there, the wind's just blowing so hard. Like, as soon as you would pick your foot up, I thought I was just going to blow away off this cliff or something. But he survived. <laughs> we drove one of those roads in uh, in the Smokies last week to our cabin. And I, I also oh. thought we were going to die. So I get it. <laughs> I saw that. I, I was not envious oh of you guys. <laughs> By the third day, we kind of got used to it, sort of. Uh, wouldn't want to live up there in the winter, that's for sure. We said, yeah. Buck and I stayed up at the top of a mountain in Tortola uh, one year in the Caribbean, and I made him switch. <laughs> we, we, we changed houses because I couldn't take the, the drive <laughs> up and down the sheer side of a cliff every day. And it's day. one lane, and what do you do when somebody comes? Somebody's got to back up. I mean, And they drive crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we had a passive van, and I was like, the ledge was right there. I was like, I cannot look, I cannot look. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. Well, that's cool. I'm glad you got to cross that off your bucket list. Well, yes. you have a guest. Uh, let me get you, try and get Laura on here. Okay, let me add her in. Got a whole lot of people on Skype here today. Uh, and then you can introduce her once we get her on. Hi, Laura. Are you there? Hello, I'm here. How Yay. are you? Hey, good morning, Laura. Thank you for joining us. Well, uh, right now, April's going to introduce you. Go ahead, April. Yes, this is Laura, and she is the owner of Unbridled Content Marketing, and I brought her on today to talk about Pinterest and how it'll benefit your business in the equestrian industry. Well, I got to tell you guys, I don't know anything about Pinterest, so this is going to be important for me. So I went over to look this morning, and apparently I have a Pinterest account, (laughs) which (laughs) I... I looked you up. I saw that. (laughs) Yeah, I've never posted, have I? Because I didn't know I even had one. I must have done it when Pinterest (laughs) first started under Glenn Geek, because I try and buy Glenn Geek for everything. And um, yeah, I don't... And I looked, and it was a whole bunch of pictures, and I went, what's the appeal? So maybe you can help here today, because I didn't get the appeal. Totally. Yes. So, um, yeah. So, Lori, if you could just kind of give an overview of just like a basic overview of what Pinterest is. Yeah. So Pinterest is it's a visual search engine. So you don't really want to think about Pinterest as a social media site like Facebook or Instagram. What it is, it's a search engine and it's more you're searching by pictures. And the really cool thing about Pinterest is that it's typical user. Most of its users are women who have average household incomes of over $75,000 a year. So when you own a horse business and you're thinking of who you want to be your customer, well-off women are absolutely who you want to be your customer. So that for our horse businesses, Pinterest is incredible and it's super easy to rank organically still, which means you don't have to pay for ads. You can target a keyword and throw your post up there and chances are you're going to rank first or second as long as you're following the rules and pinning a lot and being an active member in that community. So it's a really, really great way for equine businesses to get more traffic to their websites. So you apparently follow people like you do in other things, because I just went on my Pinterest account and clicked on following, and I'm not following anybody. So, um, But the first suggestion it gave me to follow, love these two together, is Harry Potter Alliance and Victoria's Secret are the first two it gave me. (laughs) That's all you need. Said, I'm good. I am good now. Yeah. <laughs> I am good now. I think Glenn, Glenn just single-handedly changed the Pinterest demographic with that. <laughs> Love it. Can't wait to see. Your analytics shows you your audience, so I can't wait to see what that will bring you. <laughs> all right. Oh go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I so didn't just click of... on Victoria's Secret either, I'll have you know. So I... <laughs> So what kind of pins, I know there's multiple different types of pins. Can you describe the different types of pins and what they're, what they do? Totally. So as a website owner, you can apply to have a rich pin and without getting too much into the weeds of coding and back data, um, pins have basically rich pins have extra information attached to them so that it allows the user interface to just exist on Pinterest So when you go to Pinterest and you click on a recipe and you see the kind of pin that just gives you the recipe right there without having to click off and go anywhere, that's a rich pin. There's also product pins. So if you sell tack or an equine product, this is fantastic because the user can actually purchase right on Pinterest and the money just goes to you and the 
Um, sale looks like it came right through your website and it's totally normal for you, but it's a, a trust building thing for the buyer that they made the transaction through Pinterest. And then if you have an equine blog, there's article pins and there's also app pins. So if you have a website, it's really great to have the ability to pin these rich pins for the different types of content. And a pin is a picture, right? Basically. Pin is a picture that links back to your website. That's the most important part is that when somebody basically Instagram, you see all these images, but when you click on the image, it goes to the website where it came from. Nice. And yes. I I just looked up recipes because you said I have an Instapot and love Instapots. And the first thing that came up there was Instapot crack chicken. So apparently, I don't know what Pinterest thinks I am. I'm really, we got Victoria's <laughs> Secret, Harry Potter and crack chicken. So there we when go. When I looked you up, it, I, it said Glenn Herbert and I, it uh, came up for a rider for helmets. And the picture with you and a helmet and standing next to a horse popped up. Oh, Glenn, that's that's... from everything I've learned traveling with you, that sounds like a pretty accurate list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I search for Glenn the Geek and you don't come up. You don't exist. Really? It's Glenn the Geek. Oh, the, the Geek is what had to be one word. So it's Glenn the Geek is all one oh, word right. as the last name. Okay. I have 44 yeah. followers. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, well, it's funny because so all these podcast studio pictures pop up for me. There you are. So I think, too, that the results are tailored to the user's um, online activity. Oh. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be like, it's kind of like Google, how like if you type in something, they're going to come around and start, you know, advertising that to you and know what you're looking at. Retargeting. There we go. Yep. Yeah. It's a picture mm-hmm. of you and Wendy. Well, let's, let's not tell Jennifer Victoria's Secret was first on my list then. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's keep that quiet. <laughs> All right, go ahead, guys. Sorry. Mm. Uh, So, Laura, how would you recommend someone to start using Pinterest? Like, how would they get into it? So, you you should have a website first because the whole point is that you're driving traffic back to your website. Um, You can build a huge following on Pinterest very quickly, but if you're not using that to build your business, it's not going to do you very much good. So always make sure that you have a goal in mind when you get into something like this. But you can use it to increase your blog traffic. You can use it to grow your email list. So if you have a lead magnet or a freebie or something where you give away as an incentive for people to join your email list, you can um, create a pin that connects to that and it really helps you grow your email list through there. You can invite people to your community. So if you have a Facebook page or some kind of online group of people you can create pins that lead to there and you can also sell products or services so kind of just depending on your business goals you can take it any direction that you like i know when i first started with pinterest i actually did this for mary phelps with dressage daily and we'd have um, all the horses that were up for sale on her website and we'd put them up there and they used to have like um, if you put the price on it they would actually list the price on the pictures but i don't think they do that anymore but that was when they first had their pinterest I mean, oh, they do? make a product pin for a horse, but I don't know if you'd necessarily mm-hmm. want to sell your horse to some rando on Pinterest. So maybe not. Yeah, right. yeah, it was, yeah, we were targeting it more to yeah. the horse people and stuff, but it, it seemed to help for sure. Um, so, so would you suggest blogging regularly to get your Pinterest more or what would you suggest Absolutely. So on my social media, I talk a lot about how there's a right and time place for right and correct time and place for everything. So if you're just starting out and you don't have a website yet, 
you don't really need Pinterest. It's not going to do you a whole lot of good. So if you're in that place in your business where you have a website and you're ready to commit to blogging regularly or you have regular products or content that you can drive your Pinterest traffic back to, that's the time to use Pinterest. And if you're not quite there yet, I would definitely suggest on building those other channels first, because if you don't have regular content that you're producing from your own website, you're going to be spending a lot of time and effort on Pinterest without a lot of return. And keep so your with user all in these... mind too. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I love Pinterest. I, I don't use it the way a lot of people do, but when I do use it, I'm ready to, to be active. So I'm, I look at it for creative ideas or problem solvers. And so visually, I'm like, I have this idea in my mind. I find the image of it. And then when I see what I want, right, I click on it. I want to make sure that the picture that's been posted is actually linked to some product or service that, that can actually solve my problem or that I can move on it. So I feel like it's a, it's a very, at least for me, um, it, uh, like I want it when I see it. So you kind of have mm -hmm. to be prepared on the back end is what you're saying, right? Have that blog, have that, that product or service ready to go. Absolutely. Right. And you make a really good point where you might see a great image that's getting a lot of traffic. And so you're like, oh, I want to steal that image for my thing. But don't bait anybody. Don't clickbait anybody. If you're promising something on the pin, make sure it delivers in the back end because that's the fastest way to lose people and get your account reported and start all kinds of problems is don't make false promises to get those clicks. But you also make another great point of, you know, you're there to have a great user experience. So you need to make sure that on your Pinterest profile, you create boards that speak to every aspect. So I have boards about dream barns and about tack and about horse training and everything under the sun that could capture a horse business. So I'm not just pinning my stuff all the time. And that's part of the community of Pinterest. So do you recommend like using any type of tools to help you with scheduling out these pins or? Because yeah. I know it's a lot of pinning. <laughs> a lot of pinning. I use Tailwind. I think if you're really going to get serious about Pinterest, you should absolutely get use Tailwind. It's about 15 bucks a month um, for their basic plan, which is what I use. But Tailwind has these niche communities called tribes. So I'm in three horse business tribes. One is called All Things Equestrian and Western. One is called Horse Bloggers Tribe. And then I have my own tribe for my Horse Business Pinterest Challenge. And what this is, is it allows you to find pins by other pinners in your community. And you're pinning out their pins to your board. Because, again, you're speaking to your ideal customer as a whole person. So I have tack and barns and training and videos and all kinds of stuff on my board, as well as the social media tips and whatnot. Um, and so you pin each other's stuff in these niche communities and by building this community and supporting each other, I've gotten my pins in front of 3 million viewers in the last six months. So the real power of Pinterest lies in those tribe communities. It's super important to get there. Wow. That's a lot of uh, reach for sure. 3 million. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> is social media so I need to I'm learning to target my reach it's not like I'm making a bajillion dollars off of this reach but right. it's definitely a learning curve and it's fantastic if you have the time to do it so do you want to talk a little bit more about that challenge that you have going on sure I have it's a five-day Pinterest challenge you can find it at unbridledcontentmarketing.com slash Pinterest challenge 
and you can join at any time. If you're looking to get started in the Pinterest world and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start or what to do, the five-day challenge will walk you through and I'm there on the back end to help you with anything that you need. Sounds great. And uh, so so I'm looking here, obviously. Um, can you start, you know, like with fa- Facebook, they want you to be a person. Can you start a Pinterest account as a business? You absolutely should have a business account because okay. that's the only way you're going to get those rich pins. Okay, gotcha. Right. And it's free. There's no, you don't have to pay for it or anything like that. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And uh, I know that a lot of people use it very well for business, and it does very well. And I, I know there's a lot of people in the horse world that do it. It seems like there's Pinterest people, there's Facebook people, there's Twitter people. It, it seems like everybody has the one that they use that really mm-hmm. works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, that really stands out. I know you guys, you, you, I know you say we need to do all of them. But we all seem to have that, like Facebook works pretty well for us, um, mm-hmm. because our listeners, it tends to be where our listeners are. And I'm sure there's a lot of them on, on Pinterest, too. But um, it is interesting. Do you, how do you get good at all of them? As a business, <laughs> you hire an intern. Yeah, like you hire yeah, you, you guys. Your virtual so, assistant. I, you know, you hire your virtual assistant. I was giving. I threw it to you to take it. There you go, April. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you so do that? Here. Let's ask there, April. How do they hire you? Uh, they go to. They can go to my website, dreamvirtualassistant.com, and they can see all the services that I provide, and they can easily contact me through there. They can find me on all the fun social media platforms that we talked about: Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram. So I'm pretty easy to find. And Laura? I am on unbridledcontentmarketing.com. And I am also unbridled content marketing on pretty much every social platform, except I'm not real active on Twitter. And you guys, April is awesome. I'm so happy she invited me on. And it is in my 2019 goals to be able to hire her to do my Pinterest for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking I got to hire her now too, actually, because uh, so, because apparently I'm not real active. So, um, I do have to ask you, we got a listener question. This was from Kelly and they wanted to know, uh, is direct marketing slash word of mouth still important in the world? Absolutely. Yes. I, okay. she, I got that email and I responded to her and I think it's absolutely still important. Um, especially I think with our in- equine industry, because we are, um, kind of still small in a way in our own little groups, um, especially when you're going to shows or if you're at tack rooms, putting up your flyers, um, still talking to people because having your name out there is probably the most important thing. Like I'm going to go to that, uh, the American Horse Publications Conference, and I think just going out there networking and meeting so many people is going to be so beneficial. So doing the same thing um, with your business, going to those shows or even sponsoring a class, having your name out there is going to uh, be so important. Great. Terrific. Well, um, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you. April is here the first Wednesday of every month. And uh, it was so good to meet you, Laura. Thank you so much. It was a blast. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you. 
I have to I have to click off of Pinterest now because yeah. I'm clicking around. I was actually doing that too. I was a little distracted because <laughs> there's lots of pictures, pretty pictures. I know. Around. You have to be careful you as know, a user. You could get lost. In I it. don't know why Pinterest isn't my favorite thing. There's no words. I can just click on pictures. It's perfect for me. Yeah. Yeah. And All apparently the they keep sending you Victoria's secret stuff. I so. know. Surprise I might you're not paying cl- attention. I might have clicked on that one, and I will say I will look not I will not look good in any of that. I'm just <laughs> I don't know. I've seen you in britches. <laughs> that's, that's true. You're one of the very few that have seen me in bridges. Before we wrap today, we've been get especially with you here, we've been getting the question from new listeners, and we have a lot of those in the last year. Uh, we picked up a lot of new listeners at WEG last year, actually. Uh, they wanted to know the origin stories of the hosts of the different shows and how I met them or how they came to be hosting a show. And with you, we have the perfect opportunity to talk about the origin story of the Horse Radio Network, because yeah. Lena was the first co-host. So it actually started uh, when Jennifer got a job and said to me, there's this job in Massachusetts. It's the barn manager for a a club, for a country club type place. And they do fox hunting, and Jennifer loves fox hunting. And she went up and applied, and and she got it. So we ended up packing our things and moving to Massachusetts. I was working for a bit of Britain then. So I worked remotely from up there, and I was pretty sick. That was right after we had sold our big farm. Um, and that was when my Lyme was the worst, actually. That's, yeah, well, it, it was really bad. You know, then. New England is full of moisture and mold and all those kinds of things that'll exacerbate an already existing condition. And the first house we moved into up there was loaded in mold. It was, they Ooh. actually ended up tearing it down. So that didn't help. But anyway, side story. Uh, there was this girl working there for Jennifer. Were you working there at the time or did you come after? I was already working there. I had already been through two. Two barn managers oh, before okay. they hired Jennifer. Apparently and I they worked just, out really well. <laughs> I was a new mom. My Grace was only like six months old or eight months old. And um, well, by the time Jennifer, you and Jennifer came along, I think she was already two. She might have been two, yeah, two and a half. Yeah, she was a toddler. Yeah, a little older toddler. Yeah. Yep. And then so, uh, you, that's where you two met. It was love at first sight. Yeah, yeah, you and she showed up. You were there like for an early, uh, you were like, on, you hadn't moved up there yet. It was sort of this, uh, maybe she was there for the interview or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I remember um, saying hello and I was like, I want these people to stay. I like them. <laughs> and we did for a little while. Um, we stayed for a couple of years and you worked with Jennifer for a couple of years. And we got to be friends and would come over and visit uh, you and your husband and and Grace and, and hang out. And uh, so we got to know each other pretty well there. Mm. Uh, and then we moved, we moved back for a different opportunity and, uh, you left the farm there too, if I remember right. Well, we all did. When Jennifer left, we all left because we had the perfect team together. It was just absolutely magical. And Jennifer and I spent a lot of hours in the saddle together and, uh, with Margaret and Rochelle, we hunted, we took the ponies out. We did, it was like, yeah, it was just magical. So when Jen left, you know. I was like, what? Who cares? I don't want to be here. This stinks. And so then I, I left. I was working for a bit of Britain, and there was this new thing in 2006. Then that's early on, before, before iTunes. In 2006, called a podcast. And nobody, I don't even think it was called a podcast. I don't, that wasn't a common term back then. No, but, not at all. Uh, it was kind of like an online radio show. So I wanted to do one of these for a bit of Britain. I wanted to start one. What was it called? The Talking Equine Show. That's right. It was called The Talking <laughs> Equine Show. I didn't even remember what it was called. Um, and John and I started that. John, owner of Bit of Britain, started that. And we, I asked you to do a regular segment, right? 
that yep. how it worked? Yeah, it was like Helena's Hints. That's right. It was <laughs> Helena's Hints. Was Holy it tack cow. related or was it other things related? I don't remember. I think it was apparel. I think it was clothing and right. apparel, turnout, show coat, the, you know, the clothing stuff, the the super girly kind of thing. And that lasted for no, maybe. No, because we also did, remember one of our first episodes was on, um, or one of my first segments was on Sugardine. Oh, that's right. So it was a little bit of, it was kind of like the beginnings of Horse Tip Daily. It really was. It was at the very beginning. So, sugar dine. so people had to listen on the website. That was pretty much the only way. Or you downloaded the MP3 file to your iPod. That's because there were right. no smartphones. So you had to download the MP3 file to your iPod, to put it on your iPod, and then listen that way. Um, and I remember it was kind of glitchy back then because you'd start the iPod and every once in a while you'd get to the middle and you'd come back and it'd start it over. <laughs> so <you> could, <laughs> that was, that was so frustrating. Starting and stopping wasn't real. I and the player we had on the website was awful. It was <laughs> awful. It was so bad back then. And so that ended. Uh, and then I, I actually... Somehow we convinced David O'Connor to come on and that was oh, a big deal. That put us yeah. on the map. So David O'Connor, of course, you know, president of the USEF at the time and God in, in all things eventing. Uh, he comes on, we get him to come on. Well, we didn't know what we were doing. We thought it'd be great to have him as a first interview, remember? <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing. I, we, we couldn't even figure out how to record it because it was so rudimentary back then. And I thought I had it recorded. Well, an hour later after the interview was done, we didn't have anything. We didn't have anything recorded. It didn't work. And I went to John, of course, my boss, and said, oh, we have to do that over. Do you think, how do you think David's going to feel about so the only reason he did it the second time it's because of John a bit of Britain. That's the only reason he did it. The you were absolutely time. sick. Oh, you were I just was sick, sick, <laughs> sick. Beside yourself. So I my first so foray bad. into podcasting failed. The first episode failed. Uh, the interview failed. He was kind enough to come back, and we actually got it recorded. The sound back then was awful. Um, Wait, Helena, I have to buzz it, bump in here real quick as his most current co-host, co-partner, whatever. Helena, thank you. Thank you for putting up with this disaster. It was. <laughs> and, and, and being patient so he could improve before uh, I met him. Thank you. Okay, carry on. Well, I, you're, you're very welcome, but I have to say that Glenn put up with a lot for me as well. <clears throat> so uh, A few life changes along the way in the years. Yeah, I think, talk about nat <laughs> National Grump Out Day. Yeah, I had like seven years of grump. So. <laughs> she was a little grumpy at times. I was a little grumpy. I managed to get her out of it for the show and then she'd go back to being grumpy. It was true. And we've said this before. If it wasn't for a stable scoop and Horse Radio Network every week, I would have been in a permanent grump phase. But I... Glenn and talking about horses every week completely lifted me out of my grumpy my mind. So Well, yeah. I went to work for my brother then. He was trying to sell his cable business completely out of the horse world. I went to work for him two years to help him set up the business for sale, and that, that happened. And he said, you know, this is going to go away because we're going to sell it, so you need something else to do. There's this guy named Leo Laporte. He does a show called uh, This Week in Tech. Uh, Twit. And he said, go listen to Twit show. Maybe you can do something like that for something. And this was in 2000, late 2007, early 2008. And I said, well, we kind of did one of those uh, podcast things before. Didn't work out real well, but uh, maybe I could do another one. What do I talk about? And I had nothing I was good at. I had nothing that I could really talk. And I'm so sick of sales and investments and things. I was out of that. So I said, well, you know, why not talk about horses? I know a little bit about being a horse husband, but I don't know a damn thing about horses, really, other than I owned a few and, and did some driving. But I said, well... And then I contacted you, and I said, well, let's do this horse show, but I don't know anything about horses. I'm a faker. 
I remember talking, having this conversation with you. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm a faker. How do we approach it? And then you came back and said, just play it like you're a horse husband that doesn't know shit. Yeah. And that's what we did. <laughs> what, and well, you were living in Kentucky, so you were surrounded by it. Of course, right. you're married to it. Uh, you know, your wife's bestie is like fully immersed in it. And you, you played the straight man very well. Yeah, and it worked out good because I asked all the questions that non-horse people would ask. Yeah. Um, and and we played it just like it was. You were the horse person, I wasn't, and it worked. I mean, it just worked. That's when Stable Scoop started in 2008. Um, we had a little technical challenges back then, too, because podcasting still wasn't a thing. Uh, right. Smartphones had just came in, uh, and iTunes was around, so that helped us out a little bit. But I remember us trying to figure it out, an RSS feed, which is how you get this show. Uh, yeah. we, we had no idea what one of those was. And then you, and then WEG, the World Equestrian Games, the 2010 show, yep. was born, and that in, introduced a whole another set of challenges in, in terms of recording remotely, taking the microphones and the recorders to the actual events. You had to figure that out, which you did beautifully. And we were not a success story at the beginning, people. Um, it, this did not take off and skyrocket. We had literally 12 listeners after six months. I told Helena a little more than that, but it was literally about 12 listeners after six months. And I actually think it was the WEG show that really helped the whole network grow and, and stable script grow. And uh, then it, after about a year, it started to take off. But we put in our dues for that first year. We really did. Yeah. We, we did, but we enjoyed it. I think that we were learning along the way, and that was sort of the that was the um, the foundation of what the Horse Radio Network was. It was, you know, I knew something about horses, but as we all know, you can never know everything. So it was our, our listeners came along on the learning journey. So you were learning as a horse husband, I was learning as a horse person, and so I think it was that. Um, you know, we weren't preaching to anybody. We were joining them to come into our journey of learning. And I think that's what really, and that's not changed. No, that's that not hasn't changed. changed. And I remember coming up with our, a lot of people don't know what our motto is or our, uh, what's, what's that called? Um, our tagline? Yeah, our tagline for the Horse Radio Network, you Mission. know, yeah, our mission statement for the Horse Radio Network is one sentence, uniting the horse world one show at a time. And boy, we nailed it from the beginning. And that's really what we've done. You know, we've yeah. done that. We've crossed the bridge between, we have so many listeners that are English, so many listeners that, listeners that are Western, uh, just all different disciplines. Uh, and I kind of think that we've accomplished that mission or, or are on our way to accomplishing it. Well, I think the, the key to the growth and to preserving the mission was finding hosts and contributors that were passionate. You know, we all love horses, but there's that little extra something that uh, that makes you successful as a, a horsey podcast host. You have to be able to to tap into that passion and and want to share it with other people. And as you grew the network and we added more shows, we were very careful about keeping our eyes open for that specific type of passion. And I, I think you found it again and again and again. Well, tell people how we auditioned uh, people without them even knowing it. <laughs> we were sneaky little buggers. <laughs> we would say, hey, we have this podcast. Do you want to be a guest? And they were like, sure. And, you know, they had no idea. And or we would also you had voicemails. You wanted them to call in and, and leave voicemails. But that was later. The first little trick that we had up our sleeve was inviting them to be guests on the show. And then we'd hang up and you and I would would powwow afterwards and say she was awesome or or oh god no, no. there wasn't any powwowing it was helena saying yes or no pretty much right, it was <laughs> it was your gut instinct saying okay no 
<laughs> I remember when we first had Jamie on, I was like, I love her girl crush. Bring her on. Give her her own show. Do you know who I and had Wendy? Been? Reese Koffler Stanfield, uh, host of the Dressage Show. I had I had dinner with her the other night. We talked about this. Remember, she was a guest on our show. Yeah. Uh, and she she came on and we talked and you loved her right, right away. I mean, Reese, I loved everybody. Yeah. yeah. I, there was only one guest. One guest that I was like, I don't know. We rejected a couple, I think. Along yeah. The way. But they didn't know it because they didn't know they were auditioning. So, yeah, Wendy, too, I had that conversation with her the other day was how how she came to be and was a guest several times, actually, on Stable Scoop. Uh, She was on several times. She was forehand driving then. Well, she's got that, you know, that bubbly sort of let's let's tackle it head on. Let's talk about it. Let's learn about it. Let's share it. You know, I don't know how we ended up with Jemmy. She has none of those personality traits at all. I don't know how we ended up with her. She has the patience to work with you. Yeah, that's it. That is skill number one. The emotional fortitude to be a part of the Skill number two. Skill number two. I'd like to rewrite all of our resumes just as it relates to working at HRN. More specifically working with me, let's be honest. (laughs) But that's how it was all born back then. And we just kept at it. We didn't, we didn't miss, uh, you know, we didn't miss episodes. We just kept at it week after week, whether, and there were some weeks you didn't feel like it and some weeks I didn't feel like it. And we had to constantly explain to people what a podcast was, our guests and our Uh. listeners. (laughs) And then figure out the technology, which wasn't great back then. (laughs) Yeah, I looking back, I wonder how those days were like, I just can't, I just can't. And yet (laughs) we did. And what, what, where did we find the strength to just keep going? I I remember in three or four years in, uh, we, we really had doubts that podcasting was going to make it because it went into a slump there for a while. Yeah. There were a couple of years where podcasting really went into a slump and it, you know, it just seemed to be stagnant and we were going, are, are we, we were so, we were so convinced that someday podcasting was going to become a thing. Uh, that we stuck with it, but it was tough for a couple of those years. We had sponsors and we were making a little bit of money, but it was tough. It, it was tough. And now we have how many close to 600,000 unique podcasts in the world. So I think, I think we we did right to stick with it. And you, we just went over 7,500 episodes on the horse radio network. Oh my goodness. So, and I I can't, those numbers just don't even, (laughs) I don't like, I don't, I can't wrap my brain around it. We certainly didn't wrap our brains around it in 2008 when we did our first episode. That's for sure. Uh, no. And and we were like, well, nobody's going to come on with us of any importance, so let's get bloggers. <laughs> and then yeah. we, that's how we started. We got bloggers on, and then we actually convinced a, a writer or two to come on the show. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then it went from there. So it was. Uh, so thank you for being part of the beginning. And look, we're both full time podcasters now. Who would have thought? Well, full time, and you know, I, it's it's a happy job. I absolutely love it. I, we love to talk, but really, I think the passion is still there. And if you if you have something that you love, I think that your life is going to reflect that, including the career. So, you know, talking about our crappy list, as my husband likes to say, stay true to the cause, find your passion, understand your mission, stay true to the cause, and the money will eventually follow. Happy people attract happy circumstances. So right now I'm going to Pinterest and I'm just going to put a happy face with a link to Horse Radio Network. Love it. Perfect.
I'm sure that'll get a thousand clicks right there. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Give out uh, your website again. Where can people find all of your shows? And especially My the horse- horsey one. The horsey one is just, that's all you need to care about is the horsey one. Go to stallandstable.com. You can find it on our website, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, Jemmy, where can people listen to our Florida shows? Ooh, at floridapodcastnetwork.com. And I've been working behind the scenes, actually, to release our next episode of the Florida Podcasting News Show. So it'll be out hopefully within the next half hour or so. (laughs) And we're going to be doing another adventure here coming up for the Finding Florida show. We're taking an RV. Okay, so everybody that knows me knows that we never had kids, and I'm going to be in an RV for four days with Jemmy and a six-year-old. So Seven. He's seven. Seven years. Get it right. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, you don't want to start off the trip by insulting him. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd probably I can't wait to that. listen to this series. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be interesting if I bail out after day two and I'm hitchhiking home. No, by the end of the of the episode, everyone's going to realize that uh, in my life, I have two children. One is seven. <laughs> one is 57. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you. Wait, two- wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait. Yeah. Hold the presses. What did y'all learn tonight, today? Oh, yeah. We started that. Uh, we keep forgetting to do it. What did you learn today, Helena? I learned that I love Horse Radio Network and my Horse Radio Network family. But I also learned about EHM. At which I can't pronounce, but that I need to go Google because I'm a, I'm a geek. Well, it doesn't matter anyway. Apparently, you don't have to worry about it. And if your horse gets it, he's going to die, and we can do nothing about it is what I learned. There um, we go. Because Dr. Siemens <laughs> paint a pretty picture there. Um, I learned that I really miss working with you and uh, doing this every week. I really miss uh-huh. it. Well, we'll have alumni weekend. I'll have to come back a little, you know, here and there. Alumni week. Jeez, we're old enough to have alumni now. Uh, that's right. <laughs> You're our one graduate. You're, the reunions are going to be small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they'll be fun. <laughs> All right. We'll be back here tomorrow with the driving Wait, episode. you want to know what I learned? What'd you, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, what did you learn? <laughs> I learned, thank you to Helena's presence today, that uh, it definitely takes a certain set of skills to work with Glenn. <laughs> And I learned I shouldn't have put you two together ever. That was a mistake. (laughs) And on that note, driving tomorrow, Derby on Friday. Jamie will be back and we'll make our picks. So get yours ready because we're going to do a post. We want to know who everybody picks for the Derby. And I'm going to play this so you guys can't.